and made the decision to push, push forward, right? And that was, that was really the catalyst and the impetus. And that was really at that point I had sacrificed everything that I had for what, for what New Harbor would be. And no lie, it was like literally the next day or the day after that, the orders started coming in. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today, we sit down with Justin Filmlade, founder of New Harbor Security, the sole Vermont company featured on Entrepreneur Magazine's list of the 360 most entrepreneurial companies in America. Welcome. This is Sam Roach-Gerber and Dave Bradbury, recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Justin, hi. Hey. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is this is awesome. Like, I'm I'm super excited that that you guys thought of me today. Hey, thank you. We're super yeah. excited to like stepped away from protecting the internet to come talk <laughs> with us. Yeah. Like literally, I unplugged all my machines and devices. Yeah. Because I'm I'm fearful. <laughs> so let's get through this so we can get back online. Yeah. Perfect. Justin, uh, tell us what's New Harbor Security. Yeah. So. Uh, New Harbor Security is a security services firm. So we are an end-to-end provider of security services. So when you think of large organizations or large corporations, they have a variety of security needs. Our goal as a security organization is to provide all the security services or products that an organization might need to defend to, to defend their company. Cool. Um, all right. Why is the password ABC123 bad? Uh, asking for a friend, right, Dave? Yeah, it's for a friend. <laughs> Just sure. asking for a friend. <laughs> Listen, Mom. Yep. Um, so when you kind of think about simple passwords, um, they're, they're easy to crack, right? So when someone puts in a password, it translates to a hash value, right? Which is basically uh, looks like a mathematical series of letters and characters, right? And an A equals, you know, this type of hash output, B is that. Um, but when we get into the space of trying to crack someone's password, being able to put some, you know, processing cycles behind it, all of a sudden doing that mapping of, you know, taking that hash value and mapping that back to an A or mapping that back to a B starts to get really easy, especially with, with Amazon coming coming to Fold or Azure, right? Like that amount of compute horsepower is, is readily available to most people. So um, when we start talking about trying to crack passwords, the compute's there, and simple passwords like that make it really easy to crack. Really it's just, fast and easy. Yeah, it doesn't Never take mind much. if you use the same password for everything because then you break it once and you're in, right? Uh, humans, yeah. we're the weak link. Always will be. Yeah. Right. Right. And then um, I'd say since you brought up about changing your password, one of the things that we often see when we're pen testing organizations is that those passwords are stored locally in what appears to be a cryptid or a hash value. They call them a, a SAM file. Once we're able to ascertain one of those, it becomes really easy to start passing the password across the organization and authenticating to machines that you didn't think you could. So it's pretty superpowers. So um, you used the word pen testing. Yeah. So penetration testing, just real simply for my mom who listens, what's that mean? And why do I care? 
Yeah, um, in the most the most uh, simple terms, it's uh, organizations pay us to try to break into their computer systems or try to break in from a perimeter to see how porous they are, to see if, if someone with nefarious and malicious intent could actually try to get in. Um, so our hope and our intent is we kind of come at it from the white hat angle as saying, uh, companies asked us to do this, and we have some of the best pen testing teams that I've seen in a long time that work with us today. Um, the guys are super, super experienced that, that we have working for us. And so we get hired by all types of organizations to come in and do this. And the advice that we can give them after the fact is, like, is really helpful, right? And it, I think collectively, all of us, it makes it f- feel good that um, we're telling the organizations how to protect themselves before the newspapers approach them, right? And say, hey, like, <laughs> right. we, th- we think you might have a problem. Tough to put the genie back in the bottle after, yeah, after an yeah, event. Absolutely. So, so New Harbor does, um, you do sort of general security assessments, right? You'll go in and recommend tools for implementation, monitoring. Yeah, like, yeah. Let me, let me take a step back. Yeah. We'll kind of break it down. So like earlier I said uh, we're an end-to-end provider of security services. So the question is, like, what does that actually mean, Right. Um, and I said it's, earlier, I said, you know, our goal is to have a security service for whatever an organization might need. But to us, what that means is um, we can go in and help organizations build perhaps their first security program. We can help them mature an already existing security program. We do various types of security testing and security assessments, everything from, you know, helping folks with HIPAA or, you know, PCI or ISO 27001 to pen testing, vulnerability analysis. Um, we do uh, security managed services as well. So a lot of organizations come to us and say, hey, can you, can you monitor our environment? Right? So we'll do some of those things for them as well. So it's very customized based on the organization. Yeah. Um, you know, I think over the years, what I've, what I've learned when I started, I kind of thought you know, this would kind of be a rinse and repeat type of thing. <laughs> Um, but what I've learned over the years is that, um, well, philosophically, the idea of security is the same. How each organization approaches it and their technical posture is all very different. Yeah. And how their work, how their staff uh, workers and staff members work is all very different, mm-hmm. right? So if we come someplace here and you have workers that are working in kind of like a co-working, like startup type of space they have very different security needs than someone who is like within the physical boundaries of like a corporate, like traditional right. corporate organization. Not to mention how that sort of like, if my guess would be that it, it changes culturally more than you would think too, you know, based on that organization, how they interact with each other, how they behave as an organization probably changes their sort of security practices as well. Yeah. It's, um, it's tough. I talked to like a lot of security leaders and just, like company founders about this as well, is saying security is important, but there's really a fine line that of securing your organization in such a way it doesn't stifle your business from achieving its corporate objectives and your business goals, right? And if you let the security pin, your security pendulum swing too far, you, you jeopardize a lot of other stuff. So finding that, that balance and the kind of that risk tolerance is sometimes right, a really delicate risk. thing. Yeah, it's been the wild west. I mean, we, we've had different security companies we've worked with. We were the first investor in Pony Express, a local company, for for a bit. And um, 
it, it seems like the market's sort of maturing where everybody now knows they need to think about it, I would yeah. say, or nearly everyone. And, you know, we sort of went through the phase where, oh, I'm going to buy a box or I'm going to buy a piece of software and then forget about it. Yeah. And then, then said, well, gosh, we got to train our teams on phishing and other sort of easy ways to hack yeah. in. That seems to have happened. But are you more into the sort of orchestration elements now, all the pieces, not only from the technologies chosen, but on the, 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 the training of, of the, the company employees? Is that part of the New Harbor suite today? Uh, that's, that's a big part of it, for sure. Um, so we really try to be well-rounded in our approach and how we go to organizations, especially what, what we propose, right? Okay. It's saying, like, here's, uh, here's how to kind of write some of your shortcomings, if you will. The term, the term orchestration today is still, still relatively a new term. Within the security vernacular, the idea of orchestration and automation is that you have disparate point solutions, if you will, but the idea is saying you stitch those two point solutions together through automation to try to get them to work in an orchestrated way. Right. Uh, there's a lot of technology coming to the space today that uh, claims to assist with some of those things and kind of lowers the barrier to entry. One of the challenges I've seen, um, I worked with roughly 200 companies over this past year, so like I've, <laughs> I've, seen, I've, I've seen a lot of different flavors of this. Um, companies are still trying to figure out like what to automate, right? So one of the first questions is say, okay, like this is great, I love the idea, but where do I start? And right. what should I be orchestrating? I'm like, well, what is you trying to do? I'm like, well, that's a good question. What do you recommend we do? I'm like, all right, let's yeah. let's let's start over. It's right? still uh, early days, and I think uh, um, that's why I'm really actually bullish on services like yours because um, you need humans to know what they're doing to assist or, or manage certain elements of it. Yeah, yeah. Can, can we uh, rewind here? Um, what's your personal story, right? Like, yeah. what, yeah, how who did are you, we talking to? How did, you, yeah. how did you wake up one day and say, oh, my God, I want to be, I want to hack stuff or I want to protect companies from evil actors? Like, how did you get there? Yeah. Um, so I've, I've always had an interest in security. So my, my background in every kind of corporate job I've had has been in security. Um, most recently, prior to New Harbor, I was working at, at Keurig Green, Green Mountain at the time. So I was leading the security team there. Um, and I had a wide responsibility there. So I was responsible for cybersecurity, compliance, uh, risk management, um, e-discovery, forensics. Um, so I had, a, I had a pretty pretty wide wide reach and wide responsibility there. Uh, because my program was so big, I was always kind of forced to kind of bring in people from the outside to help us, you know, do this type of assessment or do this pen test or, you know, procure this technology, whatever, whatever the situation would be. Um, at the time, really what I was looking for was I was looking for a single partner that could help me deliver my security program. And I wanted it done in such a way that saying, if I'm having you do an assessment and I'm having you help me build out a vulnerability management program, I want those two things to work in tandem, right? Like, I want the two work efforts to result in, like, a, a single outcome, right? That's, that's coordinated and it works together. Um, what I found was that company didn't exist and that partner didn't exist for me. So the result was I had six companies that I worked with 
and the sum of the parts never equaled the whole, right? Mm-hmm. So I really struggled. You never had your orchestra, right? right. You had a bunch, exactly. of, bunch of different instruments. Yep. And I'm sure that's expensive too, right? Six yeah, different it was, companies. it yeah. was. Um, it was it was expensive. Uh, I put a lot of pressure on me and my my team there to try to keep everything kind of stitched together, um, and you know, kind of after doing that for so many years, um, engaging and engaging partners that I thought we overpaid for, um, kind of forced me out on my own. I I got frustrated with it. I, I got frustrated. I, I with love it. your quote or uh, saying of, uh, you know, why are we hiring an accounting firm to do security testing? Right, you wouldn't hire security tester to do your taxes, which I just yeah. thought was just brilliant. Right? Yep. Um, yeah, it's true. Yeah, so in that case, we actually, uh, since you brought it up, uh, we hired someone from the Big Four to do an assessment for us, um, and we paid we paid way way too much money for it. Um, and you know, m- myself and my team kind of helped them through this process because. They're, they're also new to this, right? There's got to be a starting point for everybody. Um, we kind of helped them with, with the outcome, making sure the deliverables were what we needed them to be. And uh, at the end of it, I was like, this is, this is absolutely crazy. And yeah, this is exactly what you said. I'm like, why, why is it that we're paying our accounts to do security? You would, you would never hire us to do your taxes. So like, this doesn't make any sense. This is crazy. That's awesome. I love that. Um, so at that point... Um, you know, my, my frustration was was probably at its peak. And um, at that point, I kind of resolved to leave uh, Carrie Green Mountain at that time. I had another opportunity lined up, and, and my, my heart just wasn't in it. I was like, I can see the opportunity that I'm going to is just going to be a repeat. Another of what, corporate role yeah. as a CISO, yeah. Yeah, and it was like, I'm just going to repeat what I just did. So, so on, I, sorry, Dave. Well, I know, I'm excited. I know, I'm all excited. Go for it. Okay, well, I was just going to say, it, like, was there an epiphany moment where like this frustration was like, oh, this is an opportunity? Or was it you sort of working up the courage to kind of jump into that? Uh, I, saw it, I, I saw it as an opportunity. I definitely did. Um, the, the epiphany moment uh, came when I started to get closer. So I, I quit Keurig, right? I had a, probably a month gap. Maybe maybe six weeks. Like I took a lot of time. Like I need I needed a lot of time cool to, to, to quit a company, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it stinks, but there's, it's kind of um, kind of nice to scorched earth or drop the mic or whatever you or say goodbye. Yeah. Um, and by that point, I, I had really held the line long enough where I was just like, I just, I need to mentally reset here if I'm gonna if I'm gonna go at this again. And in that window, I was like, well, what if what if I tried this, right? And kind of thought about it for a little while, and, um, you know, I kind of kicked around the idea with, with Kelly, my, my, my wife, and said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing, she, and she's great, she's like, I'll, I'll support you in, in whatever you want to do. And awesome. That was 2009? That was 2013. 2013? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, actually, uh, it's the beginning of 2014. 2014. Actually. And we had, we, we had kind of talked about it off and on, right? Um, but as... The opportunity, my new opportunity approached. That that was the impetus and catalyst, and it was the emotional rejection to wanting to go and do it over again. And as that got closer, like that just started to escalate. And I was just like, I I, I can't do this, and it's not fair to the company that I'm going to that I show up on the first day. Um, so at that point, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna 
decline the offer, tell them that I'm not coming, and I'm going to you know, burn the boat, so to speak. And, and then so, you, you, you formed I, your company? And, and yeah, so I, I basically made the decision to, to basically burn them. Like, there's no going back. Like, there's no safety net. <laughs> right. The only option I had at this point was to make, make New Harbor work. And then from there, I mean, it was pretty aggressive sales and marketing and com- developing content daily, intraday, emails, phone calls. And over time, what happened was, and this is, this is also a blessing, is I heard no so many times that it helped me fine-tune our message, right, and figure out what, what resonates. That's in a really great point. I mean, sometimes people get frustrated when they hear no, and it's, it just, they internalize it. And, yeah. I mean, you know, until you talk to 100 people yeah. and, and hear consistently no, 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 um, it yeah, is, keep trying. It is right? so Dick true. And, and, and it's like I tell, I tell the folks on my side, too, is saying um, you should really look at no as, as a blessing, right? And because you, you should know that um, each time you hear an, an actual no, um, you're getting that much closer to a yes, yeah. right? So each no you hear means like you're getting that much closer, right? You just got to get a few more no's out of the way. Yeah. And they, then your, your yes will be there. They don't, increase, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. They don't yeah. sting as much, too, the, the 98th no. Um, so I, I did want to go back to a point that you had made that Dave and I talk about with folks all the time is sort of creating yourself as this expert, this trusted resource. Before they're your customer, they go to you with questions because they know that you're the one to go to. Um, and I, I think it's awesome that you sort of started with that, you know, as yeah. you were getting some of these no's and, and keep pushing, like, um, can you talk a little bit about like how you sort of built that brand and, and that sort of like yourself as a trusted resource? Yeah. Um, brand, brand is one of the most important and significant things that I think we do as an organization. And if you talk to anybody on my side, um, that will surely be one of the top things that, that they talk about. Um, because of that, like we haven't done any marketing to date, per se, right? Everything's been kind of grassroots, word of mouth type of thing. That's been on purpose, right? Because we've been trying to control the, that brand perception and making sure that we have enough horsepower behind it so that when we actually like let it go, put it out there for the masses to see that we can actually support it and it means something. Like We can follow through on our brand promise, right? Um, the idea of trying to evangelize the brand is really, really hard to do, especially starting out. Um, it's, it's developing that careful perception of how everybody sees you and perceives you within the marketplace, right? And that's, I mean, to me, that was even down to, like, logoing and lettering and making sure that it was only seen in the right places with the right company, right? Yeah. So people have the right mental response when, when they see your logo. And you want to do it in such a way that when they see you, like, it prompts them to ask the question, right? Be like, who the heck are these yeah, guys, Yeah, well, it's right? a little bit of part of, like, the, the security and hacker lore, right? Yeah. There's a little bit of what's behind the curtains. So um, maybe just talk about what, what's your views on, on sort of the security industry here in Vermont? What, you know, is, is there one beyond you? Um, and what's the potential? Yeah. Um, there, there's a great network here. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit of an underground type of thing today. You really, you really have to know what rocks to flip over to find it, so to speak. 
Um, but it's here. Um, the opportunity here is, 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 is very high. Um, what's missing is the ability to organize it and aim it, right, and kind of give it some framework to operate and grow. Um, and that's, that's really what, what we've been trying to do on our side. And as, as, as we grow and as the company gets bigger and we hire more people, um, I'm only more encouraged by the fact that I truly believe that we can do it here and we have all the resources here. The talents here. The- yeah, we just, we just have to know where to find it. We have to be patient with trying to organize it and, and, and aim it, right? But, but it's here. Yeah, I mean, Norwich University is one of VSET's founding partners. Yeah. The president's been on our board for 10 yeah. years or so. And, I mean, their cyber program still is a secret by and large, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, the people they produce, some of the, the exercises they run um, through their mm-hmm. Nawari division, um, pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's Norwich, there's Champlain, which also has a great cyber program. Uh, the folks over at UVM are starting to do security as part of their computer science clubs. Um, there's, other, there's other groups and startups in town that uh, that have some security interest and has a little bit of that hacker mindset. Uh, every time I see a single dude sleeping in a sprinter van now, I'm like, oh, that's a hacker, <laughs> right? Right. That's for you, Jesse. I know you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to take a step back, and I got the impression that you were sort of carefully choosing your customers from day one and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's sort of the impression that I got. Um, and sort of follow up question to that is who are your customers? What do they look like? And are they kind of finding you guys? Are you finding them? What does that look like? Yeah. Uh, early days, uh, let's say I couldn't really afford to be super selective. Uh, I was pretty fortunate early on that, that we picked up some, some large customers. I guess that kind of comes back to like the, the brand perception and, and how folks viewed us. Um, I think my background and having walked in a mile in, in our customers' shoes, so to speak, helped a ton. Um, as, as we've grown, we've helped all sorts of organizations. I mean, we've helped even some of the small, like smaller organizations in Vermont all the way up to some, you know, some very large state governments, federal governments. We've worked with Fortune 20 organizations at this point. Um, the commonality is that everybody's always looking to protect information, and they usually almost always have, you know, servers or some type of networking that they're looking to secure. And that's common, like whether it's here in Vermont or it's someplace right. out in Texas. Have you ever found one that you couldn't make a recommendation to or, or penetrate? Um, I don't think we've seen any that we haven't made, made a recommendation yeah. to. Um, you know, I think with security, you can. There's always there's always an opportunity to be a little bit better. Um, but as far as like breaking into organizations, we we break into a lot. We break into a lot of organizations. See, that's why I unplugged all my stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not taking any chances. Nice. Um, so in those sort of early days, like you said, you can't be super selective, but. How did you sort of test out that product market fit versus like what you can offer and what your customers need and sort of like figure out where you can really specialize? It was it was a challenge. And I can tell you it was it was an evolution. Mm-hmm. So um, the vision for the organization was always that we would be an end to end provider. Right. Uh, I want New Harbor to be the organization that 
when a company picks up the phone and calls us, we're their single partner. And like, that's it. Like, you don't have to call anybody else because we can take care of it, cradle to grave for you. The evolution of that is like a really long road and it's taken a lot of work to get there. And for us, it was kind of starting in one area, one very small focused area, and then growing it out from there. And we're, we're still growing and scaling the organization today. So for us, you know, it's, I'm, I'm making this up a little bit, but we, we start with an assessment, right? And we kind of build the muscle to start doing assessments, right? Once we do an assessment, we then can kind of take the next step, right? It's saying, now that we've done the assessment, we know something about you, like let's make some recommendations on technology, right? And then we can start to develop some competencies around technology, right? And that step, that growth process, um, to, it, just, it just takes a while to develop those, that competency, especially from an engineering standpoint. It's like our goal as an organization is to be the best cybersecurity company in the country, right? Yeah. And like, why not? Like, why not us, right? That's awesome. So as like, and that, that takes a while to kind of build, build that out and scale that out. Uh, well, and you were doing it, we think like early days, you said 2014, so yeah. it hasn't been that long. <laughs> yeah. but, but the market was developing too. It wasn't like it was a established uh, marketplace for security. Stuff's being made up and tried. Yeah, weekly. So, and I, I think that's still that's still the case today. Like what, you know, what was popular back in 2014 in some cases has now been deprecated. And you know, things in 2014 that we see to think about in 2014, things that we see today, like could only be dreamed of. Right. How many people do you have working for you now? Uh, we are almost 50 people 50, today. Great. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And. Uh, how do you keep the organization, maybe this is really inherent in your culture, but how do you keep it nimble enough to sort of respond to new threats, new technologies, new areas of inquiry that your customers uh, yeah. present to you, but yet manage the business, yeah. right? Because you just can't go off on little exploratory trips yeah. without feeding the machine, that flywheel of, of business models. So yeah, it's how do you manage that, that tension? You know, one of the things that I always say to folks is that um, we exist because organizations have a fundamental need to do security better, right? And everything that we do, we have to take care of the customer first, right? And we have to have their best interests in mind first. And if we always do that, if we always self-select that decision first, always trying to take care of what the customer needs. And we do that well. We do the best that we possibly can. Everything else is going to fall into place. And they tell the organization, like, we are purpose-driven to help organizations be better about security. Profits for us is second. Like, it will come. If you self-select the right behaviors, take care of the customers, everything else will follow, right? Our business model makes sense. We're, our business model is profitable. But as long as you take care of that piece first, everything falls into place. So from like a decision-making paradigm, when you kind of look across our engineers, when faced with that decision, they always know, and collectively the organization knows, that's, that's where you start, right? And so being able to pull and tug on that and be responsive to our customers' need, I, I feel like that's a fundamental differentiator for us. And, um, and how we choose to work and collaborate as, as a group, I think is also a major major differentiator for us in the space. 
And with 50 folks, what is your sort of role breakdown and sort of department? Um, so we have, um, we fundamentally have a company almost kind of broke, each, each security function is almost broken out like different departments, if you mm -hmm. will. Um, so we have a one group that's uh, specifically focused on managed services, right? Security monitoring. Um, if something goes bump in the night, we're the ones actually responding to it, right? Um, we have another group that we call uh, assurance services. So it's basically the idea is those are the folks going out, um, advising on security posture, um, advising on like what security policies should be within the organization, helping organizations build their security programs. Uh, we have a different team that's uh, we we call technical testing, but they're basically the the white hat guys that pen testers. Yeah, and yeah, yep. Um, and uh, then we have a professional services group that we have. It's the same. So for us, um, we've chosen to take a best of breed approach to the market. So we don't try to be everything to everybody. We yeah. par we pick out the solutions that we think are best of breed. And we develop professional services capabilities around those. So we have a separate team that focuses on that. And then we have, you know, the regular kind of SG&A functions that, that every growing organization has. Gotcha. So that's, I mean, 50 folks in, since 2014, is that's pretty rapid growth. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, first of all, sort of how you're finding and hiring these smart people and, and how you've sort of build a culture around that and um, how that's kind of developed and how you sort of keep that. You said that's something that's really important to your brand and how you've sort of kept that at the forefront. Yeah. Um, it, was, uh, it was about 2015, roughly, um, when I had tapped out my, my Rolodex of folks that I knew in town, right? And the, and the pressure's on. Customers are calling us to say, hey, like, you know, we need you to help us with this and uh, we have orders that need to be filled, right? But our, our commodity is people. Yeah. The issue that we ran into uh, was that hiring folks with expertise coming into the organization um, that hadn't started with us from the beginning um, either came in pre-broke, right? They had bad practices or weren't doing it the way that we wanted stuff to be done. They just have bad habits um, or they were a-holes, right? <laughs> So uh, we quickly realized, like, this isn't, this isn't going to get us to our goal by recruiting these types of individuals or allowing them to come into the organization. It's a slippery so, slope. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it totally is. And being able to control that is, is, is very important, especially if you want to be purposeful about your culture. So we made the decision uh, pretty early on that if we're going to do this, we have to train people. Like, training, the knowledge gap, everybody struggles with it. But the truth is, when you look at our organization, we are better positioned than most organizations to solve this challenge just based on the breadth of things that we do as an organization, right? Huh. It's pretty easy to get someone exposure to advisory services work, like strategic, like chief information security officer work. We can get them exposed to penetration testing, how the mechanics of some of those things work. We can show them how managed services and security operations work. So by coming into the door with us, like, Someone gets to see a lot of different security disciplines in play in real time and real life examples. And it's frontier stuff. Yeah. Right? Yep. To me, some of it, right? You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're a force for good. Yep. Um, absolutely. So we made the decision that we're going to train folks. Um, and 
what we learned is that no one is going to come in with the expertise that we need, especially here, right? And if they do, like, they're a complete rare commodity. Rather, we're going to have to train it. Like, right? you'd rather have to build someone up to be where you want them to be than to, like, break down bad habits, yeah, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we made the commitment. We said we hire smart folks with the right attitude and aptitude, and we invest a lot of time and a lot of dollars in them to try to make them the best security professional that we can. And I love that's, that. that's how we've, we've kind of grown the organization. Have they stuck around? Yeah. By yeah, and large? Or yeah. are customers pulling them? <laughs> um, there's, we've, we've, we've seen some of that for sure, but it's been, it's been in pretty small pockets. Yeah. Um, that's actually the, the big four model too, right? Yeah. You know, the, the customers end up hiring the, the tax partner and all of a sudden, magically... They continue yeah. to hire you after the fact because yep. I know you and trust you. Yep. Um, yes, there's some of that. I think from a culture standpoint, and one of the things that kind of keeps us together is um, if you can philosophically agree that um, a company is just a group of people, right, there for a common cause, getting those individuals to give more to the company than they take is what drives culture and keeps people together. And what I mean by that is saying, if the company's just a group of people and they're giving back to the company, they're giving back to each other, right? And they're there for each other and there to support each other. And that could be in like supporting on a project or you know, you know, trying to do a favor for someone, just being a good corporate citizen are all examples of kind of giving back giving back to the company. I don't mean like the actual company, but the individuals, giving back to the individuals. How have you grown as a leader? And, and where, do you, where do you find that knowledge or help? That's a good question. I, it, it feels like I've made a little bit of a transition over the years, um, some, some out of necessity. Um, I'm a large consumer of content. Like, I'm a pretty voracious reader, and if I'm not reading something, I'm usually listening to something, trying to... It's a great local podcast here in Burlington. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, what's the name of that one? Um, yeah, and pod, podcasts like this are... you are got your like, own, you were saying, Yeah, I right? have my awesome. own, too, Pwned, the Information Security Podcast. So not only am I consuming content, I'm also giving content out. Uh, but the... What I think I've learned over the years is, especially going from you know one million to five million to ten million and and up, um, is that the organization needs that one million dollars are way different than they are at ten million dollars, right? And if you're going to stay in your seat, like you have to be able to grow and flex and adjust to be relevant to the organization, and that's true for me. But I also say it to the other other leaders within our organization too. I say it all the time: is like we're growing, like the flywheel spinning and you have an obligation within your respective role to be relevant to us today and tomorrow. So that, that takes work. It yeah. takes a lot of work. And you're self-funded, yes? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that and what, what that's been like? Yeah. Um, so we've bootstrapped uh, the entire operation. Uh, we have no loans. We have no debt today. Um, the early days were super, super hard. Um, well, because if, if we'll back up, you decided not to take your new job and then to go off on your own. So yeah, probably wasn't a formal plan written in a. Yeah. Um, what I what I learned from that was um, I did not have nearly as much money as I thought I needed. 
Um, and I thought I could stretch out like a s small pool of funds. Like it wasn't a lot of money. Um, I think it was maybe five, ten thousand dollars. It was it was more it was more than five thousand, maybe maybe ten thousand dollars. Um, was just kind of money that I had saved over the years. Um, one of our one of our first contracts that I ended up delivering myself, and that's that's also a separate long story, um, was actually in Washington D.C. And I ended up delivering it myself, tapping into like our savings to get some of that stuff started. Um, at the time. Uh, I had to pay security. So I was moving to D.C., so moving from Vermont to D.C., I was getting ready to go to work for a federal customer. I had to pay um, on my apartment there, so I moved down to D.C. to do this contract. I had to pay um, security deposit first months and last months, right? Oh, brutal. Savings was just about gone at that point. But what I realized is, like, the way the procurement cycles work is, like, it was going to be probably 90 to 120 days before I got paid. Um, so what ended up happening was uh, when I kind of ran out some of the budget numbers to figure out how am I going to ration some of this cash, uh, I had roughly $200 a month for food and transportation. <laughs> so I lived off... For quite a few months, I lived off. I would go to Whole Foods down the street, and it was the closest grocery store. And I couldn't, I didn't have transportation, so that was my only option, <laughs> which is probably the worst. Place and Whole to Foods is known for being super affordable. Yeah, yeah. yeah I hear, I hear Whole they paycheck. I believe they. Yeah, call and I hear here sometimes they complete with uh, with Walmart, you know, for, for the dollar. Um, so I would go in there, and all I could afford was cans of tuna. So I bought, uh, for the week, I'd buy five cans of tuna. I'd buy some apples. I'd buy a loaf of bread. And I'd try to stretch out, you know, that thing as long as I could. Um, and I would save. Go to uh, networking events with, with appetizers and things like that. Yeah. Well, there was, um, there was quite a few times where I pulled condiments out of, like, McDonald's and Chinese food restaurants. So, like, I had mustard or, or soy sauce for whatever. Um, for the tuna. Yeah. Well, and I would buy, I would buy uh, soba noodles when I need, like, protein or things like that. So I put... A little so, treat like, yourself yeah, sort of yeah. Friday um, thing. <laughs> so I would save any extra dollars for my bus ticket because I was probably about a mile and a half from the office. So remember a clear as day, it was bus 52 or bus 54 in Washington, D.C., coming from 14th Street down, down to the National Mall. And I would save the $2 or $3, whatever the bus fare was, for days that it was raining. So I could I could get in there right and uh, but otherwise in Washington D.C. like in the summertime is super humid so I would get up five o'clock in the morning I would try to get dressed and get down there um, I would do the walk myself before the humidity would pick up right. in the air blow and through I, your shirt. Yeah, yeah yeah my suit it would if you want to destroy I know a that suit, walk yeah, yeah it's awful yeah. if you want to destroy a suit <laughs> walk around in the summertime in Washington D.C. and they'll do it. And then when I'd walk back, it was like 10 o'clock at night, and I'd wait for things to cool down. The blessing of that was that I spent all of that time sales and marketing, right, and basically evangelizing us. And I did that for like a really, really long time. Wow. Um, the result was I ended up losing uh, just about 40 pounds <laughs> at that point. And like I didn't have that many suits. I couldn't afford a new one. So I had to like cinch my belt as tight as I could to keep my pants up. Which means if I'm going to meeting, I have to wear my coat all the time in the middle of summer. Like that's also a problem. This so it's kind of the wow. best. This is yeah. the entrepreneur. We're diet. going a little long here, but it's yeah. worth it. Yeah. Um, and then to further <laughs> compound things, and this was like, this was like really a breakpoint for me and New Harbor was 
um, my wife was pregnant at the time. So when I'm coming down to D.C., she drops me off at the airport and says, hey, by the way, you've got about eight months to get your tail back here because baby's on the way. That's a good kick in the ass, Yeah. Um, So it's like I'm down there in D.C. by myself. um, Wasting away. Wasting away. I've got nothing else to do. Right? I have nothing else to do. I can't afford to do anything else except sit in the office and use their internet. Um, so I just I, I worked on the business and just worked on developing the business. Um, and then the issue for me came was like I had not eaten in I hadn't eaten like a real meal in like weeks. I couldn't afford to fly home, right? I couldn't afford I couldn't afford to fly back to Vermont. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of missing some of these, like, early pregnancy days that, like, I wanted to be a part of. And uh, at this point, I couldn't afford rent in D.C. I couldn't afford rent in Vermont, which was, like, which is trying to keep a roof over the mother of my yet-to-be-born child, right? Um, my truck actually broke down. The dog tore her ACL. And it was just, like, all these things. It's like it, was like, it was, like, really pouring. They say when it rains, it pours, like, it was torrential. <laughs> yeah. And I remember coming out of, uh, you know, coming out of the office one day, I was like, I just got to go for a walk and clear my head. Because I was like, I, like, I'm usually a pretty creative guy, and I can usually come up with solutions on how I'm going to solve this. Like, I can pull some money from here. I can do this. I, I had nothing. And, like, I just, I, like, broke down and just kind of sat on the sidewalk for, I don't know, it feels like it was forever. It probably wasn't that long. But... That was, that was the point where I chose to sacrifice. At that point, I had made the sacrifice everything that I was for what New Harbor would be, right? And it was, that, was, that was really the epiphany moment for me and where we made the decision of saying, like, I can either walk through this door and try to make something out of all the work we've put in, or I can just fold it up and just go back to what, what it was, Right. Or like the life that I had, mm-hmm. right? And it wouldn't have been I, I could have come back here and found a job. Yep. Like that that would have been that would have been okay. But it made the decision to push, push forward, right? And that was that was really the catalyst and the impetus. And that was really at that point I had sacrificed everything that I had for what for what New Harbor would be. And no lie, it was like literally the next day or the day after that, the order started coming in. That's cool. What a yeah. what a Genesis oh story. Yeah. What a relief. Yeah. Um, we're going to have to wrap this up, Sam. Oh, no. Because um, I, I have to go change my ABC123 passwords <laughs> yeah. immediately. Um, Shamed into it. So uh, real quickly, what's the future look like for New Harbor? Are you going to yeah. just keep growing this thing as big as you want, or do you have sort of a comfort zone that you're going to start to pick and choose customers? Yep. Um, no, our, our goal and our mission is is to to help everybody we can. Um, to say we can pick and choose, uh, I don't I don't I don't really see us getting to that point. Um, the goal at this point is to grow it as as big as as we can, right? And try to be the best security company that that we can possibly be. Um, for us, trying to hit that that hundred million dollar number from like a revenue standpoint is kind of a short term goal for us. Um, we also have. Uh, active projects in flight right now um, that I feel like once once we get them complete, where you can deliver them to the market, that there'll be products that the market's never seen before. So I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about mm. about that. 
And so that's going to be an, an evolution here over the next couple of years as we start to release some of those things. Do you still eat tuna fish? Not much. I'm, yeah. I'm about I, done I, with tuna fish yeah. at this All right. point. That's what I figured. I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. go back either. So. Yeah. Why don't you hit the last question, Sam? Yeah. Um, Justin, if you could change one thing about Vermont today, what would it be? Uh, you know, if, if I could change one thing, it would probably be uh, maybe, maybe someone at the House or legislature, every time they had to declare their political designation they also had to declare their spirit animal oh my god so that way we had an idea of how they would be leaning on certain issues and if that was the case anybody who declares a hedgehog or a mini dachshund like i'm in i'm rooting for them nice. see just but, when i thought this episode couldn't get better yeah. he hits me with that one yeah i've been hearing a lot about spirit animals lately yeah i, th- I think it makes a lot of sense right i think i I'm, mean you can you can tell a lot about someone yeah Knowing nothing else, if I just know your spirit animal, like that tells me a lot about you. What's your spirit animal? Uh, <laughs> I don't. Uh, maybe a hedgehog. Maybe a hedgehog. <laughs> All right. Um, I just read uh, something that people that have been licking their hedgehogs are getting some sort of disease. So just know that. Just yeah. Just use your hand, it's not solid. your tongue. Yeah, yeah solid. That's, that and with that, like Sam. Advice. Yeah, great advice, Dave. Thanks. That's, that's not fake news. That's that's legit. Yeah. This has been Start Here with Sam and Dave, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. This series has been made possible by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. Follow us on Twitter at VSET, that's V-C-E-T. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to work and change our passwords. <laughs>